This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. All right, I'm going to start that over. Jeremiah 6, verse 8. Be thou instructed, O Church of the Living Water, lest my soul depart from thee, lest I make thee desolate, a land not inhabited. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall thoroughly glean the remnant of Israel as a vine. Turn back thine hand as a grape gatherer into the baskets. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary with withholding in. I will pour it upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of young men together. For even the husband with the wife shall be taken. The age with him that is the full of days. And their houses shall be turned unto others. And their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. For from the least of them, un- even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. They have healed, us, healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were, there, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Stand in the ways and seek and, ask the old, and seek and ask for the old past. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 3. And I'm going to start at verse 7. But they say, We will not walk therein. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your heart, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you harden, ye be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Amen. So that was a lot I was reading there. And we said we're, de- we're endeavoring how to enter into God's rest. So why do we as believers need to live a fasted and prayerful life. Why should this be a lifestyle of the believer? And so, you know, I asked these questions to God, and, you know, we've been dealing with dispensations, and he told me, in every dispensation of life, you're going to come to a crossroads. A crossroads is a crucial, pivotal, life-changing juncture. And at this crossroads, a crucial decision is going to have to be made. There's going to be three entities at this crossroads. You're definitely going to be there. Your advocate Christ, he will be there. And the devil, the adversary, he's going to be there. Uh, he's always there as well. I hope you know that. Just like Christ is, the devil's always on his, he's always on his job. 
So your decision at this crossroad is going to determine whether you have spiritual growth or you're going to have spiritual poverty. It'll show if you truly have faith or if you're desolate. Desolate means to be without hope. That means to be without the true God. That means to be empty. Your decision is going to show who your God is and what you've consecrated yourself to. So know that if you're not living a fasted and a consecrated and a prayerful life, if you're not living unto the Lord, just know this, you are living unto something. And if it's not to the Lord, there's only one thing left. Listen, to soar to new heights in our, in our Christian walk, we have to always be prepared for the crossroads. Because it's coming. See, God gives us dispensations of time because he has something important for us to do for his glory. We've been learning that. So that means it's our job to be prepared, to be in position, to respond correctly. To be prepared means I have to always be ready. To always be ready as a believer, we have to live a prayerful and fasted life. We can't forget we have an adversary. Who, who walks about as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. He's on his job. So to be always prepared or always ready, that's what it means to be an overcomer. So how do I become an overcomer, right? Well, faith in Christ makes you an overcomer. But to be an overcomer, you also have to endure. Because we said faith in Christ makes you an overcomer, so you have to endure. So endure means that you're going you're to come across some opposition. There's going to be something that comes against you, but you have to endure. Oh, so I get it. So to be an overcomer, I have to always be ready for opposition. Yes. But what does that mean? I always have to be ready for opposition. That means you have to make your calling your election sure. So let's clarify what that means. That means you have to walk the walk. That, that means you don't just get into heaven. That means I'm going to get in and I'm going to stay in. That means I have to endeavor to enter into his rest. I don't know, Brother Hill. God offered me grace. Yes, he did. But what's your response to his grace? That's the question. Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. What did we just read in Hebrews? Harden not your heart, as in the day of the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart, and they do not, have, do not know my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. So what does he mean by rest? We're going to define this rest because we, we, we have to endeavor to enter into his rest. So we're going to find this out. So just a, just a few verses down, we're going to start in verse 4. And if you've been looking at your prayer and fasting packet, you'll see that this scripture is in there as well. So Hebrews verse 4, and I'm going to read verse 1 through 11. And it says, Let us therefore fear... Lest the promise being left us entering into unto his rest, into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed to enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into, enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, 
And they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again he limited a certain day saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. That remaineth therefore, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into the rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So, can I enter into his rest? Yes, you can enter into his rest. Right now? Yes, right now. How can I enter into his rest right now? It just said in verse 2, verse 3. Well, let me read it again. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not not being mixed with faith. So I can enter into his rest right now by faith. That's the answer. You have to mix it with faith. You have to believe on Christ. And I say believe on Christ because that means I have to trust to do that he's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. I call on the Father. He sends the Son by the Spirit. Now look at the Godhead in action. I call on the Father. He sends the Son by the Spirit. But that's me believing. That's the faith mixed in. See, we are talking about God's rest, right? That's what he said he'd do back in Genesis. Let's go to Genesis real quick. Genesis chapter 2. Because we're going to figure out this rest, and then we're going to talk about endeavoring into it. But we've got to figure out this rest. Genesis chapter 2. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses real quick, maybe 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And we're talking about creation, right? All the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. So that work was finished. That means it was done. That means from the beginning, the lamb was slain. That work was finished. The comforter was given. That work was finished. Your sin was dealt with from the very beginning. That work was done. God rested. The work of redemption was finished. The only thing about it was Adam sinned, and now man is outside of God's rest. So here we are, endeavoring to enter into his rest. But, rest remains for those who believe. And like I said, we're endeavoring to enter his rest. That was the goal throughout the scriptures. You think of Israel when they left Egypt. They endeavored to enter the land of Canaan or their land of rest. That's what's been referenced when it said in, in Hebrews 3, verse 8, when it was talking about the, in 40 years, it's talking about them entering the land of rest. We endeavor to enter God's rest spiritually. And he's faithful to fully restore those who walk in the spirit. Let me read verse Hebrews 4, verse 9 and 10 again. It says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in Genesis. Hebrews 4, 9 and 10. And it says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people, a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he has also ceased from his own works, as God did from his. So to enter into his rest is to be finished with my works. Just like God was finished with his works from the foundation of the world. Once you, his little worlds, have come into knowledge of Christ, we are to subdue and have dominion and be finished with our own works. 
Repent from my dead works. Walk in the Spirit. That's when you hear people say, oh, I've tried it my own way. But now I see the only way is Jesus Christ the righteous. That's repenting from your own works. That's being finished. That's putting your own works to rest. So we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence. Steadfast to the end. So family, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart to what God wants you to be. That means don't turn a deaf ear to what God wants you to hear when he's speaking. Because like I said, God is always speaking. He's always talking. And his sheep hear his voice. So those that are his endeavor by faith to enter into his rest. So what is our faith? Our faith is the ability to endure until we see Christ face to face. He is, after all, our hope of glory. So there's your equation. The word plus the ability to endure until we see Christ face to face, that equals the overcomer. You know, the word plus our faith, that equals the overcomer. Uh, the word minus your faith, that's nothing. The word plus faith, that equals the overcomer. This gives us our rest. This makes us wall builders. When we endeavor to enter God's rest, not only are we overcomers, we're wall builders. In our time of fasting and prayer, especially over the next month, we'll be continuing to enter, into endeavor to enter God's rest and build the walls of our hearts together. So then when we come to the crossroads in our lives, in this dispensation, we're all ready. We're prepared. Always ready. So we can soar to new heights in Christ. So my objective is to point out the things this congregation needs as a whole to always be prepared for the crossroads. And to point out the things we need to cut away or subdue so that by faith we enter into God's rest. So, what do we need to be prepared for the crossroads so we can soar to new heights in Christ. Number one, and I'm starting with today, is self-control. And you can put in little parentheses by discipline. Self-control slash discipline. So at our last Next Generation service a couple of weeks ago, we had a teaching on freedom. And the question came up of what is freedom? And the answers came back, it's no constraints, no restraints. You can do what you want to do. But I dare say that that's not right. You know, when I think of it, when I think of freedom the way that we're supposed to be living in it, I think of the way what Pastor used to say, or, or Pastor Hill said, she, she said, you're free to do anything you want to do but sin. So, so wait a minute. So our freedom, as a believer... Our freedom is righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. Listen, freedom is the righteousness that we have in Christ. You are free to do the righteousness of Christ Jesus. You are free to do that. That is your freedom. But you know, the problem is, with the so-called believer today, that's not the kind of freedom we want. Because with this type of freedom, we have to have self-control. 
Another word for self-control is temperance. One of those things, you know, that comes from the, the fruit of the Spirit, love. See, I love, I'm, I love how God did it, right? Because Pastor Hill was talking about the fast way back in March, April, May. And God was like, well, let's wait till we start talking about this manifestation of the works of the Spirit, of the, of the, uh, the flesh in, in family life, so we can bring that in with your fasting too, so we can all just pay attention to it. I love how God did that. I really do. Because I'm going to tell you, the stuff that we did on family life, the notes of that were done probably back in January. We had already dispersed this. We had no idea when the fast was coming. God said, I know. I love how God set that up. So what is temperance or self-control? And I want you to write this down. This is going to be kind of long, but when I got to it and I started working it out and, and this definition came to me, it, it was just it was awesome. So temperance is the concentration of all man's power, ability, and capability on doing God's will. Enough to, I'm going to repeat that part again. Temperance is the concentration of all man's power, ability, and capability on the doing of God's will. Continuing on, in and through whatever calling God appoints. It's the denial or restraining, either totally or to whatever degree necessary, of people, things, and desires, no matter how innocent or useful it may be in its proper place. We have a little bit more, but let me go back. I'm going to read that again. Temperance is the concentration of all man's power, ability, and capability on the doing of God's will, in and through whatever calling he appoints. It's the denial or restraining, either totally or to whatever degree necessary, of people, things, and desires, no matter how innocent or useful it may be in its proper place. If it begins to interfere with your efficiency and giving all glory to God, then there's some temperance needed. That's what I mean when I say, no matter how innocent or useful it is in its proper place, if it begins to interfere with you giving God glory, there's some temperance needed. There's some self-control needed. So some of you parents who put your children before God, there's some temperance needed. You put your husband or wife before God, there's some temperance needed. If they get more, I know you love them, God knows you love them too, but if they get more time than God, there's some temperance needed. Because guess what? You can't love properly if you give them more time than God. The fruit of the Spirit is love and everything that falls under it. And guess what falls under it? Temperance. There's a reason he said, love God with all. Everything else will fall underneath that love. So self-control or temperance is not exercised on a continual basis. When you come to the crossroads of your dispensation, you'll be left a blind prisoner to your impulses and your emotions. We're going to turn to Judges. We're going to look at somebody who became 
who literally became a blind prisoner because of their lack of self-control. Let's turn to Judges. And you can go to chapter 14. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we're going to read about Samson. Uh, this man was, he was dedicated to God before his birth. He was set apart as a Nazarite. And for those who don't know, a Nazarite is a person who's entirely consecrated to God. In his consecration, he drank no wine. He allowed his hair to grow untouched by a razor. And yes, Samson had the power of God with him for a time. Let me tell you about Samson too. He was, Samson had, he had unbelievable amount of strength. Right? You start thinking of Samson. Now the Bible doesn't mention anything about his looks or nothing, but I can imagine he was swallowed than my brother, and my brother swallowed. I'm going to tell you that. I can imagine he was, he was swallowed than my brother. I would have to imagine, and this is just me, he was a good looking man. Swollen up, in shape, I would have to imagine when he walked to the room, you saw women like, oh, well, let me, you know. You saw certain guys like, what's up, man? What you do, man? What you, you, you. I, This is me, right? This is me. I don't want y'all to get thrown off. But I have to imagine this is what you saw. You know, this is what you experienced when you saw Samson, right? But understand this. His supernatural strength was nothing on his own. God gave him that. It wasn't because he lifted a lot of weights. It wasn't because he had a good protein-filled diet. It was the power of God that enabled him to do these things. He judged Israel for 30 years. And it must have been incredible to be around him and see his strength. Let's, let's read about him a little bit. Let me get to Judges 14 because I didn't even get there. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. Just to shed some light on who Samson was, right? Judges chapter 14, I'm just going to read verse... 5 and 6. Then went Samson down in his... I'm sorry. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnah and came to the vineyards of Timnah and behold, a, lung, a young lion roared against him. Now I'm going to stop right there because if I see a lion roaring, you're going to see the fastest brother that you've ever seen in your life. They tell you not to run. You know, you don't want to excite them because they get that thrill of the hunt. Well, they're going to have the thrill of the hunt when they see me. I'm chopping out. Okay? So a young lion roared against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as though he would have rent a kid, and had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father nor his mother what he did. So a lion, and they're talking about a kid, they're talking about a, a, a goat, right? A lion came up on him, roared at him, and you, basically he roared back at him. That's basically what he did, and rent him in two. Incredible strength. Given by God. Later on, his countrymen bound him up and delivered him to the Philistines. Let's read about that. Judges chapter 15. Just one chapter over. I'm going to read verse 14 through 16. And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. In the court. So I want to let you know, his, his people delivered him to the hands of the Philistines. He's, he's tied up right now. Okay? And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the cords that were upon his arm became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosed from his hands, 
And he found a jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of, jaw of an ass, I slain a thousand men. So with the jawbone of an ass, he wiped out ten, a thousand men. And understand, this is the army, right? They had helmets on their head. They all had weapons. They couldn't surround him and kill him. That's how you know it's nothing but the Spirit of God. This wasn't an ordinary man. They had armor on. You have to think about this. This is the Philistine army. They covered from head to toe. He was, he was, he was tied up. Delivered it to him. He breaks it. Finds the jawbone of an ass. And kills a thousand of them. No ordinary man. Spirit of God with him. One of his greatest exploits was performed when he was trapped in the city of Gaza. We're going to read about that too. Judges 16. Just the next chapter over. Verse 1 through 3. Because I'm taking you through his life. This is all through Samson's life. I'm taking you through it here. Judges chapter 16, verse 1 through 3. Then went Samson to Gaza, and saw there an harlot, and went in unto her. And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson has come hither, and they compassed him in, and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city, and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay till midnight, and rose at midnight, and took the doors of the gate of the city, and the two posts, and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders, and carried them up to the top of a hill that is before Hebron. Now, you've got to think of these, right? This is a gate. The gates of Gaza, they had heavy beams on them, studded with metal, sunk into the ground so they could support his post, right? You've got to think of these things, right? Because, I mean, the Bible just says it, read it, you read it, and it flows off your tongue like it's just that simple, right? Without the Spirit of God, let me tell you, it's impossible. The things that he's doing was impossible. Samson rose in the middle of the night and ripped the whole great structure out of the ground. Terrified the guards who were already like, oh, he don't even know we're here. We're going to get him. We're we stationed here. We're going to kill him. Terrified the guards. This man was the business. I'm going to tell you that right now. With the Spirit of God. It must have been captivating to watch him. Especially if he was on your side, you'd probably be like, not me, I'm going with Samson. We need y'all to go here. No, I'm going with Samson. It must have been captivating to watch him. He was probably like a, like a one-man army. Well, he's just slayed a thousand. That's an army. I'm like, if you got five people and this is just me, I'm like, wow. That's it. You know what I mean? A thousand men. However, you know, he had, he had great physical strength. And it was the Spirit of God. However, he had a self-control issue as well. And it allowed him to be overcome by his temptations. He was enticed with his own lust and led astray. When I say his own lust, you've got to remember, because we just read, there was a reason I read chap, uh, chapter 16, verse 1. He went into Gaza and saw there in Harlot. That's, that's a little indication of what his lusts were. Samson had a woman problem. He had a lust of the flesh problem. And he was led away by his own lust, enticed, led astray. This strong man fell into the hands of Delilah. 
She endeavored to get the secrets of his strength from him, and he foolishly toyed with her and played with the danger until it was his own destruction. He gave in, lacking the self-control, and confided in Delilah what he shouldn't have confided in anybody. The secret to his strength. Not that, not, not that the strength laid in his hair. Not that the hair made him strong. But that was a symbol of his consecration. And his pledge to God. While his hair was untouched, he was consecrated to God. So let's read about him. Judges chapter 16. And I'm going to read at verse 17. Probably through... 20, no, 21. Verse 17. And it came to pass when she, I'm sorry, 16. And it came to pass, well, let me just lead you up to this. I want you to know she's been bribed, like I said, with a large sum of money to get this information from Samson. And she's asking time and time again, and Samson's playing with her, saying is this thing and it's not working, saying is that thing and it's not working. So here we are, and she's, she's just playing on I thought you said you loved me, Samson. Playing with his emotion. He's been drawn away with his own lust, enticed with his own lust. And here we are, verse 17. Or I'm going to start at 16, I'm sorry. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Because without the Spirit, you're dead. His soul was vexed unto death. That he told her all his heart and said unto her, there have not come a razor upon mine head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. And if I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she said, see, listen, why are you confessing all your heart to this woman? Confess your heart to God. You see what happened when he did? His soul was vexed unto death. Anyway, and when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and, and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he has showed me all his heart. See, God doesn't play with your heart like that. God's not trying to use your heart against you. You're in the safest hands with God. <laughs> then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man. And she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him. And his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he woke up out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with the fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. So we're talking about a lack of self-control leading you to be a blind prisoner Samson's eyes were burnt out he was at the, gr at the, at the millstone uh, literally a blind prisoner a slave to his impulses Saved, a slave to his desires literally made him a blind prisoner they take him to a place where, where the prison where an animal would normally be working and made him the beast of burden See, you become a beast of burden to your own impulses, your own greedy desires, because you won't you won't abide with the spirit. <clears throat> Giving into your desires will cost you greatly. 
A person's impulsiveness or lack of self-control will eventually lead to an act that they'll have to live with or die from. See, Samson strangled a lion, but he couldn't strangle his passion. He destroyed the chains of his foes, but not the cords of his own lusts. He had great physical strength, but his lack of self-control caused him literally to become a blind prisoner. And many of us could tell similar stories. We could share how our lack of control caused us, you know, caused us turmoil and issues in life that we have to deal with to this day. So let's talk about what this lack of self-control can lead to. A lack of self-control will lead to unruly impulses. And this goes back to what I was talking about in family life. That excess living, those are unruly, those are unruly impulses. Like the excessive urge to eat. You know, you know, stopping to get you a little something before dinner that nobody else knows about. I'm on my way home and I'm going to get me a quick little Happy Meal burger and then eat at home. Those are unruly impulses. Having three or four plates at dinner. Those are unruly impulses. Oh, I just had one plate. Okay, having one plate that's, that, that could be split into four plates. That's breaking the counter. Those are unruly impulses. Angry impulses. The impulse to verbally abuse somebody. Attack somebody. You know, always having to have that last word. Even if you're right, sometimes it's good just to just to be quiet and let it go. Instead of you being a blind prisoner to your impulses. You know, the, it's okay to speak the truth. The Bible says you should speak the truth, but it also says speak the truth in love. And if you can't do that, then just... Go pray. Because you, you want to act like you're, you know, holier than somebody else. But we've all sinned. We all come short of the glory of God. Harmful feelings, twinges of envy. You know, we talked about that this morning too. Impatience. Remember what we learned, your envy can lead to murders. Contempt, hatred. If you don't learn temperance, you don't learn how to control these thoughts and these actions right now, they're going to manifest in your life and affect and change your life forever. Passionate urges, like gambling. Oh, come on now. Tis the season, right, fantasy football players? Come on now. Lottery players? Passionate urges like your erotic fantasies? That we must get to and stop before we allow them to take course? Yeah. 
For example, it starts with your uncontrolled urges to read your pornographic novels, watch your pornographic movies or websites or wherever you go to. And now that you've, you've let your urges run wild, you find yourself ready and willing to please yourself no matter where you are, who you're around. You, you'll be at work and you'll see a coworker drop their pen and you're like, ooh, they're trying to turn me on by bending over in front of me. No, nope, they dropped their pen. <laughs> Control your urges. Now you're, in the, you're at the job place thinking like, oh, they, oh, they feeling me. Because they dropped the pen? No self-control. Proverbs 25 verse 28 says, He that hath no rule over his spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. See, in those, those biblical times, the city's their main defense were the walls. So a man without self-control is an easy victim when attacked by his desires and impulses. Easy victim. Self-control is your wall. You think about it. I mean, nothing would have ever destroyed Samson from the outside. He was... Nothing would have destroyed Samson from the outside. It was his own lust from the inside. Far too many of us struggle with self-control. Let me tell you our story. So, was this Friday? Thursday or Friday, I was on the way to pick up uh, my wife from, uh, for lunch. We meet every day for lunch. That's my boo. We meet every day for lunch. Best part of my day. So I'm on my way to meet up, meet up with her from lunch. And I'm going straight, and there's a car that can turn out, right? And there's no cars behind me. Now, I told y'all before about my story some years ago about the guy who got on my nerves, and I got out the car, and I was ready to do this, right? This was years and years ago. But here we are, 2019, a couple of days ago. I'm going to pick up my wife. The car turns out in front of me. No cars in front of me. Turns out in front of me, and I almost so I beat my horn, and then I get just so they know that I'm coming. Right? I'm not even. I'm, I am upset on the inside, but I'm just like know that I'm here. I got over, and I went around them. Right? No cars behind me. Went around them, and I kept going. I got back over in front of him. Went straight. He got over in this lane. I thought it was done. We come up to the light before you get onto the the, the, the freeway. Here he comes beside me. And I see his car just creeping and creeping. And I'm thinking to myself, he's going to try to get in front of me and cut me off again. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, I'm ready. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm ready. You know how you do it there? You're like, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, right. You know, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'm ready. He's not going to do this, right? And sure enough, that light changes. And here he is. And as soon as I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, I got him. As soon as I, just a still, quiet voice said, control yourself. I, I let off the gas. He got, sure enough, he caught up, cut, cut me off in front of me, got him in front of me. Then he looked in the rearview mirror and just waved. And I just waved. And he went about his own way. Now here's my purpose of telling you this, right? Because we've all wrestled dilemmas like that on a day-to-day basis. But my thing is, so I could have perceived it the wrong way, right? I could have been like, he got a problem. Why is he jumping in front of that and cutting me off? Why is he doing that? There wasn't nobody behind me. He still, there still was nobody behind me at the light. He could have just got behind me and waited for the light. We both got on the freeway. For some reason, he wanted to get over there. And I'm just like, you know what? What his issue? And then at that moment, I began to think, and the Spirit came to me and said, yeah, he may have an issue, but what's your issue? 
And I kid you not, at that split moment, that issue that I had seven years ago when I got it, it came in my mind. Because I was like, oh, I had the victory over that. And the, God was like, the devil's still trying. He's back. Have you learned? Have you grown? Are you putting it down inside you? Did you hear my voice when I said self-control? How many times will we allow our unnatural impulses, I'm sorry, our impulses to go unchecked? Procrastinate dealing with the issues. What do we say procrastination does? It leads to wrath. Because, listen, it could have went a total different way. I tell you that. It could have been, it could have been like he cut me off. And then I ran up behind him and I was like, pull over. It could have been a whole other way. And I could have changed his life forever. Or he could have had a gun and changed my life forever. Ain't no telling. See, it's those small things that you have to hear the voice of God in. Because when the crossroads come, your decision is going to be pivotal. And if you haven't practiced those small things, you're not going to be ready for the crossroads. And you'll be left desolate. Remember I said procrastination is the gateway to wrath? It's also the gateway to God's wrath. Remember this when I say wrath, right? God is and always will be love. That's what God is. But God's wrath is His love and action against sin. So Him being a just God, I am so happy that He puts His love and action against my sin. What does it say in Romans 1? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That that word hold means to suppress the truth. Because they know it. Overturn the truth. Procrastinate the changing power of truth. The wrath of God will be revealed to those of that heart. His righteous judgment is coming whether you, whether you have that heart or not. So I want to stay in the, the heart of the ones that believe because when His righteous judgment comes, I don't want to be caught in His wrath. So we have to always be ready for the crossroads. And live our lives unto the Lord. So, what are men's thoughts on self-control? Because they have a lot of thoughts on self-control. And I was looking at it and reading up on it. And I'm just like, yeah, people think that is self-control. For example, you could take a dog, for example, right? Let's say you have a crazy dog that likes to go outside and run around and bite at other dogs, chase squirrels. So what do you do? When you go out, you put a prong collar on them, right? That's a, a version of control, right? Or take overeating, for example. If you have a problem overeating, some people might be like, I'm going to put a, pay, a padlock or a chain on the refrigerator, give the key away so I don't have to deal with it. That, look, we're talking about man's self-control, right? There's a difference between man's and God's. We'll get there. If you have a spending problem, you could put all your money in a safe and give your key to somebody and say, don't give me that key. That'll help me. 
Now, here's the thing about these things that man says self-control is. Maybe some of these things can be helpful from time to time, but that's not the sort of self-control that the Spirit gives. The type of control that the Spirit gives, it enables one to say no to their own desires. See, biblical self-control, it takes somebody who's maturing in the things of God. To be able to say no to your desires... That's a, that's a good sign. That's a good barometer to see if you're growing mature, if you're maturing spiritually. The Bible teaches that self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. So if you don't have any self-control, you may not be loving correctly. Because it comes from love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, temperance, or self-control. Against such, there is no law. You know, the word Paul is using there in Galatians for self-control or temperance, in the Greek it's enkratia, E-N-K-R-A-T-E-I-A, which contains the root word meaning power. So self-control is to gain power over one's life through the Spirit. For me to allow my impulses and desire to run uninhibited is to lose power over them. The mind of your flesh is now in control. But to simply just box myself in, to, to put a chain on the refrigerator, to, to put a, 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 you know, a padlock on it, that's not real control. That gives you no control. All you've done is you add a, 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 an extra layer of control over yourself. Yeah. Namely the chain or the padlock or whatever you have. But that's not true self-control. True God-given self-control is gaining power over all those forces and desires from within. It's far greater than just a restricting act. Like placing a leash on a dog. It's far greater than that. It becomes a matter of living under the control of the Spirit. So, if all believers have the Spirit, why don't all believers have self-control? That's the question. So, self-control is a product of the Spirit-controlled life. Though all Christians have the Spirit, not all Christians are living under His control. Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So I looked at that word filled, right? The Greek word for that is pleru. P-L-E-R-O-O. Which means controlled. That's what it means. Believers who have the Spirit are commanded to be controlled by Him. As the Spirit controls us, one of the fruits or products of the fruit of the Spirit is just self-control. Yeah. Yeah. So the question is now, how are we controlled by the Spirit? Because the Spirit's control is not automatic. You're not a machine. He's not inside of you like you go this way. That's not how it works. No. Not at all. So how are we controlled by the Spirit? 
The spirit's control is brought about by a means. And we must take, oh, y'all been here on Wednesday nights? Take possession of the righteous strength that God has made available, available to us in Christ. Now, if you haven't been here on Wednesday nights, you need to go back and listen to that. So how do we take possession of what's been made available to us in Christ? Well, we do this by discipline to the study of the word, to prayer, and to biblical fellowship. Discipline to those things. Being disciplined in those things ensures us that we're standing God's will. It ensures his preservation of us. It's our SOP if we want to be preserved. Well, Brother Isaac, that means I ain't have no time for what I want. Exactly. Oh, you get it now. It's all about what God wants. Now, if that bursts your bubble, then I'm sorry. But it's not about what you want. You gave that up. Remember, we, we repented from our works. Just as God was finished with his, we are finished with our works. Let me, show, let me tell you what discipline in action is. It's when your understanding grows, your discipline tells you, but now I need to go back and listen to what I've, what I've heard before because my understanding has grown and I'm going to understand that differently as well. That's discipline to the word. Discipline doesn't mean I've grown and now I need to keep going further and further. No, I need to go back and get a better understanding. That's discipline to your growth. I said that's our, our SOP, our standard operating procedures. Our scope of support, support for believers, for ourselves and others, is discipline to the word. Discipline to prayer and discipline to this biblical fellowship that we're in. Then you're able to support yourself and others. That means adhering to the word and what it says on self-control. That means when you, you need to you need to pray daily. Ask God for your daily bread daily on the self-control. Practice self-control daily in this biblical fellowship. Yes. Submit yourself one to another. Yes. Absolutely. That's discipline. Yes, it is. So here's my definition of discipline. Discipline is the God-given strategy to carefully chart your spiritual growth so that you can be effective. It's the God-given strategy to carefully chart your spiritual growth so that you can be effective. Let me tell you what that means. That means you need to take things at God's pace and not your own. Let God make things beautiful in their season. Otherwise, you're going to stunt your growth due to your lack of discipline, due to your lack of self-control. Trying to jump ahead without perfecting the discipline needed to move forward. Leaving you a blind prisoner. Listen, be anxious for nothing. Isn't that the scripture? Let God make things beautiful. If you're disciplined and, you, and, and if you stumble in your walk with Christ, 
because of your preparation and discipline, it'll be easy to get up and move forward. But if you're not disciplined, if you stumble, it's devastating. Here's an example that, you know, we had our, our choir workshops and I believe it was last month an example that came up. It was a natural example. We all know how to walk naturally, right? Everybody has learned to walk. I'm not talking about your spiritual walk. I'm talking about physically walking. We've all learned to walk naturally. And though you may, how, how many of us here, even though we all know how to walk, how many of us tripped before? I better see everybody's hand up. We've all tripped before. We've all stumbled multiple times, as a matter of fact. But that doesn't mean you don't know how to walk. Why? Because you've been disciplined to the discipline of walking for a long time. So though I'm walking and I trip, I know how to keep walking. Because I'm disciplined to it. The same thing with your spiritual walk. If you're disciplined, though you may stumble, I can get up and keep going because I know how to do it. But that takes discipline. That takes trust in God and His Word. And and that's why the Bible says stuff like, in the process of time, and it came to pass, because discipline and its benefits can only be developed and maintained over time. Discipline requires time. It's not going to be developed instantaneously. Over the process of time, then it will come to pass. It's not a one-time act. It's an ongoing process. Like I was talking about my brother Vince Swole, it's, it's like athletic training. If you don't hit the gym, if you don't hit those, those, those pecs you got, they're going to start to droop. Those biceps you got, you're going to lose your strength. But if you stay disciplined to it, you're going to always be ready for the crossroads. And it's coming. Stop studying the word, stop praying, stop maintaining biblical fellowship, and you lose the Spirit's fruit of self-control. There it is. We told you how to get there. If you stop doing that and you have a lack of self-control, check your, check your study time, check your prayer time, check your biblical fellowship. Our SOP, our discipline. Lack of self-control is so costly. So how do we lay hold of self-control? Well, for one, we need to take responsibility for our actions. Quit blaming other people. It's not my fault. I couldn't help myself. The devil is a liar. No, you're a liar. Let's be real. We like to rationalize our our lack of self-control by putting blame elsewhere. Just like I would have been in that car. Listen, it's my self-control issue. I I told you I was sitting there ready like, I just can't wait. But that's my self-control issue. It didn't cost me a thing to just let him get in front of me. It didn't. And when I did, it turned from this to probably what would have been another finger. It's important that we take responsibility for our own actions. No one can make us do anything. We allow ourselves to be dominated by our feelings and our desires. It's a choice. Did nobody overpower you? 
That's what you're choosing to do. I remember a couple months ago, I was talking to a friend at work, and I told you all about this when we had our, uh, the band play the 4th of July parade down. So I was talking to them at work about it, and I told them about the drum solo that Sarah just impromptu and just stuck on me, right? She just stuck it out there. And so one of my coworkers said, were you ready for that, that drum solo? And I told him, I stay ready. I said, I practice the drum every day since I was a little bitty boy. I'm disciplined to it. One of my coworkers told me, oh, I wish I had that determination. I said, oh, you got it? You just got to choose to use it. It's a choice. That's called being accountable. The word is going forth. You have to be accountable to it. We have to be responsible for what the Lord has delivered to us. Determination and self-discipline is a choice. You have to make a conscious effort to get up and put self-control into practice. You have to be accountable to the word. You have to nurture and grow it yourself. What did we say this morning? These are they which seen the sun on good ground, such as hear the word, receive it, and become fruitful. That's been accountable to the word. First Peter verse 1 and 13 says, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. Sober-mindedness, that has to do with your self-control. That has to do with understanding your priorities. Not thinking about things that you not, ought not think about. Setting your affections on the things which are above. A disciplined mind is one that avoids the distractions and intoxications of this world. Not looking for ways to get by. Not looking for ways that allow me to do these things. Will I be sitting if I do this tonight? If you have to ask, don't do it. Who wants to walk that line? Why? No self-control. You know, the scripture says, you know, we're commanded by the scriptures to add self-control to our faith. Remember what we've been learning with our fast. We have to mix it with faith. So let's, let's go to Second Peter real quick. I just, we all know the scripture, but I have to read it. Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 5. And besides this, giving all diligence... Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, that's the self-control, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. God commands us to add it to our faith. That's something that we're responsible to do as believers. Take it seriously. It's the proper response to God's grace. So take it seriously. 
So what do we need to be prepared for the crossroads so we can soar to new heights in Christ? Number two. Number one was self-control. Number two is forgiveness. And in parentheses you can put long-suffering, humility, kindness. Because those three things, that's the attitude of forgiveness. And we're going to stop there today because I am out of time. Well, I have a couple minutes, but there's no use in me getting into this because it's going to take more than a couple minutes. So we're going to stop here today. Stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.